Good morning. How's everybody? I'm Matt Pardee, one of the pastors here. Excited to be together. We just had our fall retreat with our college students this weekend, so hopefully my voice will hold up okay. Our megaphones broke during the Olympic time, so I became the megaphone, and uh, that always puts a little strain on my voice. But uh, it's a special weekend for our college students. They get to go to fall retreat, go to our getaway, go out into nature and hear some great worship and teachings and have a lot of fun together. And this weekend, as I was thinking about that, if you kind of put yourself in the place of a getaway, a retreat, a vacation, it's always such a great experience to kind of, you know, remove yourself from where you're at to kind of get a a big picture of life and kind of a new view of what's going on. That's the special thing of getting away and going on vacation. Maybe you're the kind of person that likes the beach. That's, uh, that's what our family loves, the beach. And, uh, or maybe you're kind of like the mountain hiking kind of people. But typically when you get away like that, you're kind of relaxing and you're kind of just having deeper thoughts than you normally would. That's kind of the special part of having a new perspective. And as we're going through this series on Luke, if it seems like it's becoming repetitive, that's a really good thing because you're probably picking up, hopefully, the theme of Luke, that it was a very different perspective of what the people thought God was like at that time. The book of Luke is kind of like this countercultural view of what the world is all about. We go through life and we kind of have these earthly goggles on of like what life is about and all the physical things and we're kind of just focused on what we see and our to-do lists of the day. And Luke is reminding us that maybe the world isn't exactly what you think it is. Maybe there's this whole spiritual dynamic that we miss all the time and we're kind of in this daydreaming state and just kind of this robotic state of going through life and the things we believe about ourselves and about God and about the world and how they function, maybe we don't have the clearest picture of what God is seeing, what God wants us to experience, what God wants us to value. And these people were no different. They were kind of living their life. And even the Pharisee in this story and the religious leaders of what they were telling the people, it was off. And here comes Jesus and he's saying, the kingdom of God is here. And I want you to change your perspective. And it was hard for people. It was hard for them to change gears. It was hard for them to kind of get in this mode of what I was talking about, where you kind of need to get away, go on a vacation, have a new perspective and a new vision of what life is all about. And that's why we come to this place and we get into the word because we're reminded that this world isn't always what we think it is. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today, hearing another similar story about who Jesus is pursuing and what it means to have his, him as the king and to live in the kingdom of God. And this world is a whole different perspective. Let's look at John chapter 18, verse 36, before we jump into the Luke passage. Jesus reminds us of what I was just sharing with you. Jesus said this as he was after he was arrested and they're getting ready to crucify him and their minds are kind of being blown about what the Messiah is all about. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. 
And so he was reminding the people, I'm not coming right now with swords to defeat the Roman Empire and to be a king on this earth. Jesus said, I'm coming to build a heavenly kingdom. And I'm inviting people by faith into this heavenly kingdom. And it's going to be completely different. It's going to be completely countercultural to what you think it's all about. And it's such a relevant message for us as we go through our lives and we kind of are going in this direction and we think about these things every single day. And God is saying, hey, here's what my kingdom is all about. And we get to see another great passage of Scripture to dive into today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, a little bit longer passage that I'm going to read to you today. But we're going to start in verse 36 and go to verse 50. And it's about this sinful woman that barges into a dinner party and she has some, a lot of emotion and a reaction to Jesus that the guy that's hosting the party, the Pharisee that's hosting this dinner party that invited the, you know, the, the great teacher Jesus into this dinner party, she's very disruptive to it. And we're going to get to see how Jesus responds to this sinful woman crashing the dinner party, probably a fancy, pretty nice place that the Pharisee is hosting for these people. Let's dive in in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Continuing on in verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, that's the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 50, uh, I'm sorry, one owed, one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then he continues, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, Who is this who even can forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This sinful woman, other translations imply that this woman was an immoral woman. 
In that time when people would say an immoral woman or a sinful woman, there was a connotation to that. She probably wasn't, you know, some of these lower level sins that we consider to be a little more tolerable of like little white lies or overeating a little bit. But she was probably more of an outcast in this town as an immoral woman. She comes in and barges into this, and just for her to be touching Jesus would have been very countercultural and very offensive to the people. As we've shared throughout this series, the Pharisees represent these people who were the religious leaders. Many of them probably had a good heart and a passion for God, but many of them were so into the laws and the rules that they believed God had given them that would get them into heaven through their good works, that they became cynical people. They became very judgmental toward the outcasts of society. And we see that in this story here, where he is judgmental. He's skeptical. He's probably skeptical of Jesus because he didn't give him a very warm greeting when he came in. He had doubts. He even says, if this guy was really a prophet, if this guy was really from God, he'd know what's going on. So they're probably snickering behind the scenes here that Jesus is going to be really embarrassed that this sinful woman, this immoral woman has come and that she's touching Jesus. So here's the first point that I want to draw from this about this woman and how she is this picture of how we should be and how we should live Counterculturally, because oftentimes in the church, oftentimes in our own misconceptions, in our own heart, or in our own minds, when we are in a sinful place, we want to be far from God. We want to hide from God. It's just our tendency, just like in Adam and Eve, and they sinned and they hid in the garden. When we make a mistake, when we sin, When we do something that we're embarrassed about, our first inclination in our hearts is to run and hide from God. And she's an example to us because this woman that had this true idea who Jesus is, she barges into this house uninvited and says, I've got to be with Jesus. I've got to show him how I feel about him. And here's our first takeaway for today. True encounters with Jesus result in worship and adoration. If we really are touched by Jesus, if we really understand who Jesus is and what He did for us, how He feels about us, the sacrifice that He made for us on the cross, dying for our sins so that we could be in this intimate relationship with Him. If we really wrap our minds around this kingdom come that He's building and this invitation that He's giving out to every one of us, it would result in some passion and worship and adoration in our hearts. Now, I know those are very Christian-y words, worship and adoration, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't even know what that means to be worshipful or to adore something, but it really just means, what are you crazy about? What are you excited about? If I just were getting to know you and I say, hey, what are you into? What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? What kind of gets your heart beating If we wanted to be a part of this kingdom of God, hopefully one of those answers would be, I'm pretty excited about Jesus. 
I'm pretty excited about the life transformation that has come through my relationship with God. I'm pretty into God's word and, 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 and this, this walk with Jesus and this mission with Jesus. Hopefully that would be one of our answers. Because if we understand who God is and what this means for eternity and what he has done for us because he loves us so much, we'd want to worship him. We'd want to adore him. And that's the kingdom that he's building. He's saying, I want to invite you into this kingdom, and I'm inviting worshipers. And here is this woman in this beautiful picture. She's overcome with emotion. She's realized how sinful she's been and what Jesus means to her, the person that can provide her a clean slate and this forgiveness of sin. And she's just got not just some crocodile tears, you know, some little tears. If she's washing his feet with her tears, it says she was weeping on her knees, weeping, her tears dripping onto his feet, washing his feet. This whole thing of this perfume that she has is really insightful because it was a very expensive thing for people to have perfume at that time. For this woman, this alabaster jar and this perfume represent something valuable. This would have been a financial sacrifice for this woman. Let's go back and reread this, 44 through 46. He, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, as Jesus was interacting with the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. That would have been a very normal, traditional thing to, the, to give the guest some water for his feet, to just say, hey, I want to bless you. you have, your feet are dirty. You're wearing these sandals. That was something they did when they came into the house. But this Pharisee did not do that for Jesus. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Another contrast, you did not give me a kiss. That was a normal greeting to kind of, you know, kiss these people. Growing up Italian, if you came to my house for the holidays, we do a lot of kissing. You know, if you came, it'd probably make you feel uncomfortable, all these strangers kissing you. That was very normal during their time to give them this greeting of a kiss, which the Pharisee did not do. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. She's excited. She's passionate. She's got a lot of emotion and adoration for Jesus. You did not put oil on my head. Another thing to show of honor that the Pharisee did not do. But she has poured perfume on my feet. This woman has come with her perfume and she's showing the value that she has in Jesus as we just reflect in our hearts on this passage and we're thinking about our, our passion for Jesus, our adoration for Jesus, our worship of Jesus, I just ask you, does your life reflect that you value God? That you, that you value this relationship with Jesus? And I ask you, how valuable to you is your relationship with Jesus? Is that something that people observe in your life. If this was such an expensive thing for this woman to do, we ask, why? Why would she take that risk to spend so much money on this encounter with Jesus? And the passage tells us it's because she was forgiven 
of so much, which is our second point. We who are forgiven much, love much. Those of us that think we are not, that we are forgiven little, love little. The Bible is telling us that this worship and adoration that we have is directly related to how much debt you think you have been forgiven from a holy God. If you go through your life and you think, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, there's a lot of people in this world that need forgiveness a lot more than me, but I'm a pretty good person, and I feel like God's going to be pretty blessed that I'm even in heaven. You know, if we can go through life with this kind of prideful attitude, our love will reflect that. As we think we're forgiven little, we love little. But if we're really reflecting on our sin, we really reflect on the depths of our selfishness and how much we've been forgiven by a holy God, our heart starts to grow and we love him more and more. He gives this great example of these people who were in debt. Jesus had this amazing way to know what people were thinking. He did all kinds of signs and miracles to prove that he was Messiah. And one of the ones that I love is where he would just read people's minds. You know, that'd be pretty crazy if you could just read people's minds. If I was up here and, and I could just read somebody's mind and say, hey, Harry, you know, I know, and there's nobody here named Harry, I don't think. Hey, Harry, I know the teaching's going long, but... How long did you watch football yesterday? And Harry's like, whoa, what is going on here right now? You know, that'd be kind of weird. So here's Simon the Pharisee thinking, gosh, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be letting him, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. He said, hey, Simon, knowing his thoughts, can I tell you a story? Imagine a guy owes 50 denarii to somebody and somebody else owes 500 denarii to somebody and this debtor forgives both of them. How are they going to feel? And back in that day, the denarii said it was about a, a day's wage, okay? So, so 50, 50 denarii would have been, been like a month or two of pay. Imagine how much you make per day or how much you make per month. I'm not talking about the college students, but maybe city people, a little bit more, a little bit more idea of that that in today's value for like a normal family or a normal person of that time would have been like $5,000. You know, if somebody gifted you $5,000 and said, hey, I know you need a used car. Why don't you go out and take this $5,000 and just pay me back when you can? But the other amount, the $500, that's like a year and a half's worth of wages, like $50,000, let's say. Say, hey, I know you need that down payment for that house, and I want to gift you $50,000. Wow, that's a huge gift. And if both of them come back and say, man, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I said I was going to pay you back, but I cannot pay you back. And that person says, hey, don't worry about it. The car, it's yours. Wow, really? That's amazing. I mean, I'm thankful if somebody gifted me $5,000, i am I'm pretty thankful, right? He's telling the Pharisee, I know you've got some sins, and, and I forgive you too. I let you off the hook. I, I forgive your debt, but a down payment, $50,000, I can't pay you back, and you're going to give that to me? Wow, this is pretty life-changing. That's a big deal. That's going to change my finances for a long time. And that kind of gratitude and that kind of like 
wow factor is why Jesus tells these amazing parables. And he says, do you get it? Yeah, some of you have been forgiven little in your own mind. But if you really think about the life-altering debt that you have been forgiven, that's going to change the trajectory, not of your financial future, but of your spiritual future. Wow. Oh my gosh, Lord, I love you so much. I really understand where I could have been going when I die apart from you, but you have forgiven my spiritual debt. Of course I love you. Of of course I'm passionate about you and I adore you. But it's so hard for us to remember that, that we had a debt. It's so easy for us to justify what we've done in our lives and to kind of excuse it. I was thinking about this teaching, and I was thinking about this story where we're just so quick to defend ourselves, right? We, we can all experience that at times. Uh, a few years ago, when we were living in this farmhouse in Perrysburg on Roachton Road, we had this farmhouse that was just surrounded by farmer's fields, so it felt very isolated. It was very isolated. And at, at night, it would just be pitch dark around us. And I was at this Bible study in Toledo, and this car pulls in and dies in the driveway, and Mary Lynn is home alone with the kids. And this very strange couple comes banging on the door because their car has died in our driveway, and there's really no houses nearby. So in Mary Lynn's wisdom, she's looking at this couple through the window. They're banging on the door, and she keeps the door locked, and she said, hey, what's up? She's yelling through the window. They said, hey, our car's died. Can you come out and help us or give us a ride somewhere? And Mary Lynn's like, no, no, I'll, I'm good. I'll, I'll call you a tow truck. And they're like, no, 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 don't call anybody. And now she's more suspicious, and she says, I'll just call the police, and these people just run. Okay, so she's like, okay, something's up. And she calls me right away. She said, these people are on our property. Their car's here. I'm kind of scared. Can you come home? So I come driving home as quickly as possible. And there's three other police cars in my driveway. And long story short, the police run the plates and say, this couple has a warrant out for their arrest. They're drug dealers in Perrysburg, Ohio, believe it or not. And we're looking for these people. So their car's there, and they're searching the car. And on our property with this gigantic barn, they're searching the barn. They're looking in the fields, trying to find these people. And we're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. Okay, so the police leave, and they can't find them. We're getting ready to go to bed, and I have these two awesome little dogs, Ozzy and Felix. They're little Westies, and they love to hunt. I would just let them run in the fields, and their nose is just incredible. They could smell things from miles away, and just, I'd just watch them run and catch rabbits and possums and groundhogs. It was amazing. They're amazing hunters. So it's midnight, and I know you're thinking this story is getting kind of long, but I got a point. It's coming. <laughs> and, uh, and it's midnight, and my dogs are outside, and they just start going crazy. And in a, norm, in a normal way, they bark for a few minutes and stop, but they just keep going. They keep going. I was like, something's up. So I go out and do one of the most fun things I do. I unhook their leashes and just let them go. And I'm running after them as fast as I can. And they just take this direct line like a half a mile from our property into this ditch. And these farmers' ditches are really deep. And then there's these, you know, the little tunnels under the road. And they're just diving in there, just barking and yelling and everything. And I look in the pitch dark and I see this little pink sweater in the ditch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a person in there. And I pick up a stick 
Like, that's going to do something. And I said, hey, get out of there. And this girl that was knocking on the door, her and her boyfriend split and went in different directions. She's hiding in the ditch. And I, I yell to her, and she sees me stand there with a stick. And she gets up, and she says this, I didn't do anything. Okay, that's her quote. And that just really stuck with me. I'm like, you're not hiding in a ditch on midnight unless you've done something, okay? The police are looking for you, but her first inclination to tell me is like, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, uh, but my dogs are barking, so why don't you come with me? And I grab the dogs, and we walk back to my property. And I'm still holding my stick, just in case. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this woman? And just as we get back to my property, a policeman pulls in. It was amazing timing. And I point to him and her, and, you know, he puts the handcuffs on and takes her away. So my dogs were like little crime fighters. Love that. I was always amazed at the justification that that woman said, I didn't do anything. You, you would think, you know, everyone knows you're guilty. Why is that so deep inside of us when we sin? when we lie, when we cheat, when we lust, when we're greedy, when we have hate, when we say something that we shouldn't say. Whatever that thing is for you, fill that in for you. And our first indication is to say, I didn't do anything. And you see, if we live life in that way, this justification, we will love little. We will be like the Pharisee that says, I didn't do anything, but look at those sinners. And what God is asking us to do is to turn that all around. In his kingdom, everything is different. And when we're honest about our sin, when we don't have that as our, our, our quick knee-jerk reaction, I didn't do anything, we say, no, I need help. I'm broken. As I stand before a holy God, I need you, Jesus. And maybe it brings tears to our eyes. Maybe it brings a heart of worship, a heart of gratitude. And we're like this woman that wherever Jesus is and whether we're invited or not or we think we're invited, it's like, no, I want to be with him. I want that forgiveness because I need it. And then our heart grows and we're filled with worship. That's what he wants for us today. That's what he wants for every one of us. Let's pray and ask that to be a condition of our heart.